Okay, this is exciting. I've got Scott McKnight on the other end of this uh, Digital Side Hug podcast. Scott, how's it going? Going very well. Good, very good. Well. Thanks. Good to be with you, David. Uh, this is this is exciting to have you on the podcast. Obviously, Scott, um, I have been blessed by you, not just through reading books that you've written, but also um, at Pepperdine, I got a chance to listen to you speak to youth pastors. Um, and I think I mentioned to you afterwards as we were walking together to one of the main sessions that I would love to, to sit down with you like this and have you say something uh, that would bless youth workers who listen to the Digital Side Hug podcast. Yeah. So thank you for agreeing to do that, and we'll we'll just jump right into it, um, and and hopefully we'll have a lot of fun as well. Um, Scott, first off, tell us who you are. Like introduce us to you, who you are, where you live, what you do, things like that. Uh, Scott McKnight, and I am a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary in uh, the southwest suburbs of the city of Chicago. I've been married. Uh, for 40, going on 42 years. Uh, my wife and I grew up together. We have two children, one of whom uh, lives about 30 minutes from here in a, uh, she's a public school teacher, married. And I have a son and his wife who live a five minute walk from here with, their two, with our two grandchildren. And I'm a professor, I'm a writer, and uh, I guess I'm a public speaker and preacher as well. And I know, uh, because I've gotten a chance to visit with you about this a little bit, uh, and in fact, you're coming to my congregation uh, in February of 2016, uh, and we're all excited about that, that you know a little bit about the Churches of Christ, which I am a part of. Yes, I the, do. The Acapella Churches of Christ. Uh, I got interested in the Restoration Movement, now more often called the Stone-Campbell Movement. Right. When I was a seminary student, uh, with a couple friends who were Christian church. Uh, we didn't, I didn't know as many churches of Christ, but I, I, I had one churches of Christ student who was a very good student, but I think most of the church of Christ students do seminary in a more uh, kosher institution than Trinity, which is more generic. So I've, I've known about the restoration movement since the 70s. Well, when you, when you spoke recently at Lipscomb University, which is a Church of Christ school, a school that started in 1891 by an old COC preacher uh, named David Lipscomb, you, you obviously knew a little bit about us just because you were able to say the right jokes. Like, you knew how to make fun of us well in a way that didn't offend, but that, you know, that worked. That's right. And that's a real gift to know a people before you can, you know, jab them where, where they can laugh and learn at the same time. Well, you know, David, I've been speaking to Church of Christ groups for about 10 years. So I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of uh, Churches of Christ leaders. So I've learned some of the tricks of the trade. Yeah. Well, your book, Blue Parakeet, I'm sure piqued our interest. We're a Bible group. I mean, we, we take the Bible very seriously, and that's what you try to do in the Blue Parakeet. Um, tell us real quick about some of the books that you've written, and then we'll jump into a lightning round, Get to Know Me. Well, um, my first few, my first books were all in the more academic world, uh, not very accessible. They were for professors and um, for the professional academy. In 2004, I wrote a book for lay people called The Jesus Creed. And since that time, uh, I've written a number of books for lay people, uh, some a little bit more at the theological level and some at the Christian life level. And uh, at the theological level, 
I think the books that uh, I like to get people to read are One Life, The King Jesus Gospel, and Kingdom Conspiracy. And at the Christian life level, um, Jesus Creed, a book called Fasting, and then this uh, new book, A Fellowship of Difference. Which, of course, I'm, is the reason I really wanted us to talk. I love, when I first heard you say it out loud, I assumed it was Difference, D-I-F-F-E-R-E-N-C-E. But yeah. it's, it's, it's not. It's different uh, with a T. And I got so excited because I felt like I immediately kind of knew where you were going. And, of course, then as you presented, uh, you, you, you hit us youth ministers right between the eyes with this. Um, so we're going to get to it in a second. Before we start that, can I ask you some fun get-to-know-me questions? Sure. All right. So it's Scott McKnight, and we've got about 20 more minutes. You're going to tell me, by the way, when we need to stop, right? Yeah. Okay, because I'm sure you have a class to go to or, or something like that. All right. What is the best fiction book you've ever read? Um, I would say uh, The Old Man in the Sea by Hemingway. Okay. Uh, most important movie, not your favorite, but the most important movie that you suspect most youth ministers haven't seen. The Big Night by Stanley Tucci. Is that the one where he's a restaurateur? Yeah. I, okay, I've heard of A Big Night. A Big Night or The Big Night? The Big Night. Okay. Yeah. The Big Night, uh, Stanley Tucci movie. Good, good. What, and this is from uh, Morris Gregoire. So we, uh, the question is this, what will be the name of your next dog? And, it, and if, if you're not gonna have a dog, imagine with me a life where, a world where you do have a next dog, what would its name be? We're not gonna have another dog. <laughs> Uh, I have no, I mean, I don't think, I don't name the dogs in our family. The dogs have been named by the kids and Chris, so I okay. got nothing on that one. That's great. All right, so what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had steel-cut oats okay, mixed with some cinnamon and some fruit and bear and nuts. So that tells us you're a patient man to wait on the steel-cut oats to cook. It just takes so much longer than the rolled oats. I make it. Uh, once a week, uh, 17 minutes, yeah. two cups, I drain it and store it in the refrigerator and it's ready to go when I want to have it. <laughs> That's great. Okay, uh, there's a button in front of you, Scott. If you press the button, you are contractually obligated to write one book a year for the next 15 years. So if you press the button, contractually obligated to write a book every year for the next 15 years. If you do not press the button, you are contractually restricted from ever writing or publishing another book. Do you press the button or not? I have to press the button. I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So is one a year? Have you averaged one a year? You've just about averaged once a year since 2004 then, haven't you? Oh, since 2004. Oh, yeah. Um, I have, I think, I, I have over 50 books, probably 51 or 52, I'm okay. not sure. So, Scott, do this for me, because one of the questions I love to ask people, authors that I have been blessed by, which you have blessed me through several of the books of yours that I've read, I love to ask you, 
what are the two or three books that you would recommend to youth ministers that you didn't write? Like the top two books that you didn't write that you would say every youth minister ought to go read this. It doesn't have to be a specifically directed to youth ministers kind of book, but just what would you say to us? Uh, I would say N.T. Wright's Surprised by Hope, or I would just say something by N.T. Wright. I think N.T. Wright should be read. Uh, now, that it was the one or two books? Yeah, well, two or two or three. I wanted two or three. You can stop there if you don't. That everyone should read? Well, youth ministers, specifically people ministering to young people. Um, well, I don't think about books like that. I just keep consuming them, you know. I have to think about That's that. That's great. No, thank you for that recommendation. Scott, we're going to move forward now and just jump into kind of what you're doing now. The Fellowship of Difference. Tell us what it is, what, what it means, and why you wrote it. Uh, okay, let me give you a little bit of an academic side to this book because the book is not written as an academic book, and all the sidebars that I had in the book, which were many, 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 were all removed. I'm a part of what is called the new perspective on Paul versus the old perspective, which would be kind of Lutheran and Calvin and Reformed. The new perspective emphasizes that Judaism was not a works religion, so therefore Paul's critique of Judaism was not that it was trying to foster uh, works righteousness, but rather that it was nationalistically exclusive and didn't open up the doors to the Gentiles. That's Paul's critique. The New Perspective scholars begin with Duke Professor E.P. Sanders, who's retired, um, James D.G. Dunn, my uh, doctoral advisor at the University of Nottingham, and then he went to Durham and is retired, and N.T. Wright, who's well known to everybody. My complaint to all of them has been, I don't know Sanders as much as I know Jimmy Dunn and N.T. Wright, uh, my critique has been that they have not spelled out the implications of the Christian life for lay people so that they can catch on the vision of the new perspective. And the result of that has been that the new perspective can be trashed by scholars who don't like it, the old perspective people, uh, and say these people don't care about the church. So all at once, two things were happening in my life. I wrote, when I started teaching at Northern Seminary, I wanted a book on spiritual formation through the uh, vision of the Apostle Paul, so I began to write A Fellowship of Difference three years ago. And then I co-edited with a friend of mine, Joe Modica, a, a collection of essays on the Christian life written by New Perspective scholars. We have an essay from Jimmy Dunn and from N.T. Wright and Bruce Longenecker and Lynn Coick and uh, Tim Gombas. So we're, we're, we've got quite a collection of essays, and that will be out uh, in October. Are these academic essays, or is this accessible to the church? They're academic essays. And my book, A Fellowship of Difference, is an attempt to give a vision of what the Christian life looks like for the Apostle Paul through the vision of the new perspective. Now, remember I said that the new perspective says the fundamental problem that Paul is facing with Judaism is not that it's a works righteousness religion, but that it's exclusivist. It is for those who are circumcised, and that's it. If a few Gentiles want to tag along to synagogue, well, fine and dandy, but it's not going to be a missionary movement. Paul becomes a missionary to Gentiles, 
and then he tries to create churches so uh, and, and these churches are mixed with Jews and Gentiles so my contention is Paul is not trying to get Gentiles saved so much as he's trying to get saved Gentiles yeah. to sit at table with saved Jews and to like it and I believe that everything in Paul's letters is basically uh, an explanation of how Jews and Gentiles are to live together. So his vision of the Christian life at the end of his letters, if you look at it, it's not about how you can grow individual individually, although that would be involved. It's more about the things you need to be able to do to practice community with one another. So what I would say is he develops an ecclesial Christian life. And that's what a fellowship of difference is. It's what the Christian life looks like for those who want to make the church the center of what God is doing in the world. And if there's somebody listening to this podcast who wants right now to push pause and then go to a place in one of Paul's letters where you would say, this is what he's doing, where would be that place you would take us? Well, I think the standard place would be either Ephesians, and you watch him move from Ephesians 1 and 2 into the Christian life yeah. in chapter 4, and you see it's all about the church life. Yeah. Or Colossians, which is the uh, younger cousin of Ephesians, a little shorter version. <laughs> uh, and, they, I mean, you can see it in all of Paul's letters. For instance, Romans is the big beefy letter of Paul. Right. But Romans is all about the weak and the strong, which almost everyone accepts is Jews and Gentiles. Right. And so it's almost like the book of Romans, he's telling Gentiles that they can't demean and diss Jews who are believers. Whereas the other letters, he's got like Galatians, he's got to tell the Jews that they've got to accept the Gentiles yeah. on their own terms by faith and not by becoming Jewish which is the works of the law right. I take to be an expression of, of what it means to be Jewish. And in Galatians, when Paul says, and he used the go ahead and emasculate themselves language, he says, You're, you know, it's, it's what you've come to learn and know and hold on to is worth nothing if you, if you, you know, go and you practice circumcision. Um, you, you think what he's getting at is life, life in the body of Christ is needs the uncircumcised and the circumcised. That's his vision of what God is doing. He calls it in Colossians the mystery yeah. that has been hidden from the ages, and that is that the gospel will go to the Gentiles. Yeah. It doesn't go to the Gentiles by obliterating the Jews. It expands Judaism or expands the people of Israel to include the Gentiles in one new family of God, and he's trying to get them to realize that this is what it looks like. So Paul is fundamentally, he's got, one could say, uh, a radical social vision that God wants one family, and it can all happen in Christ through the power of the Spirit, but only in Christ and through the power of the Spirit. You cannot transcend all these boundaries on your own without the power of the spirit but it won't happen look at the united states yeah we've got laws that bring people together right. but we don't have people who want to be together right so 
So when you get a chance, how, how often do you speak to youth pastors like me? I mean, I know you did. I know you did the luncheon at Pepperdine. I mean, yeah. is that is that a rare off the map kind of thing for you, or do you do that all the time? That's rare. I know you spoke uh, spoke at the uh, the national conference on youth ministries four years ago, three years ago, something like that. Um, yeah. When you get a chance to speak to youth group directors who are directing congregational youth ministries, how do you, what what message would you give them, or what's the challenge? What's the plea with regard to this mission of Paul and the message uh, that you that you're talking about in the Fellowship of Difference? Yeah, I mean, speaking to youth group is going usually is going to be determined by what the directors want me to talk about. But if if I get to talk about Paul, uh, I would try to teach them that Paul is the most relevant apostle. His letters are the most relevant books in the entire Bible. That they are speaking into America's situation in ways that we've never appreciated before because he's trying to get people to transcend boundaries that they've known by the power of the Spirit. And those boundaries in our world are between African Americans and whites. And we've got tension. There's a shooting right up north of our house here today of a policeman <clears throat> and there's some racial tension involved in it because one of the shooters was an african-american gentleman man probably not a gentleman to be shooting guns and shooting police like this so we have here we have all this tension in the united states ferguson Char mm -hmm. uh, charleston and the church should right. be the vanguard in demonstrating the people in the world today that through jesus christ we can get over these boundaries that separate and divide us and become a family of unity and peace, reconciliation, and love again. But that's not what we look like to the world so often. We, 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 don't, we don't appear to them to be the vanguard. I think that there's a reason for that. In part, it's because the gospel that we preach is so focused on self-satisfaction and individualism that it never brings in the importance of the church. And then what it is, it's a church of volunteers rather than the focus of what God is doing. So if, so if, if you ask Paul what is spiritual formation, he would not give to you the language of individual formation. For instance, your personal relationship with God is intense, you're praying a lot, you're fasting a lot. Paul would say, does your community love one another? Is there reconciliation in your church? Is there peace between people? Or are you at war with one another? That's how Paul would approach spiritual formation. Okay, so we've got a few more minutes left. Um, would, you, would you talk about, you just said, the first thing you said was love. Do yeah. you love each other? And and that's going to be the thing. Of course, Jesus said this. You know, they'll know you're my disciples or apostles or my followers by your love. T tell tell us, give us your definition of love. That's one of the things that's most important to me in this podcast. Tell us what how you see love and and then why that matters for our church. Yeah. Let's start with this. Jesus is asked by a scribe, what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus gives what I call the Jesus Creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus, that's from Deuteronomy 6. He adds, and the second is this, and he adds a love statement from Leviticus 19, 18, 
to form a new thing called the Jesus Creed. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, he says this, and it seems radical. It's not altogether brand new, but to say that the whole law hinges upon these two right. commandments centralizes the importance of love. Well, then we see Paul talking about love, and we see John talking about love, and we see James talking about love, and we realize that love becomes central to the early Christian ethic. Well, love is one of those terms that most people think they know what it means, but when you ask them to define it, they can't define it. And when they do define it, it, mo it mirrors usually what's in a standard English dictionary, American dictionary. Yeah. And that is gonna do, deal with affection yeah. and, and deep emotions. Well, in studying love in the Bible, uh, I, I didn't do this when I wrote Jesus Creed. I had some inclinations uh, of, of where I wanted to go, but I wanted it to brew a while, and I taught for five years a class that uh, half the class was largely about relationships. And so we talked about love a lot, and I kept trying to demonstrate to my students, college students, that the way we define love does not give any kind of of strength and foundation for staying married. And I said, what we have to do is we have to define love by the Bible. But to define love by the Bible, we can't just look up the word love. We've got to watch God's love in action. And I came to the conclusion that there are four elements to love. One big category and then three prepositions. And, and love in the Bible, I'll give you the definition then I'll break it down. Love is a radical commitment to another person to be with them, to be for them, as you grow unto Christ-likeness. So here's love in the Bible. First of all, it's a rugged commitment. So love is not simply an emotion. It is an intellectual, existential, and deep-seated commitment to another person. It is not simply a commitment to that person, it is a commitment to be with that person. I call this the principle of presence, is that the Bible's emphasis on love is that God is with us. He's with us uh, in the Old Testament, in the pillar of fire and the cloud by day. He's with them in the tabernacle. He's with them in the temple. He makes his presence shine in the glory of the Holy of Holies. And Jesus is God with us and in Revelation at the end, uh, there is the promise that God will be with his people. So uh, love, this is how God loves. He makes a rugged commitment to Israel, to his son, and to the church to be with them. Second, so that's the second point. A rugged commitment to yeah. be with. And third is to be for. This is the principle of advocacy, where God, the, the fundamental statement of covenant in the Old Testament is, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is found in Exodus, Deuteronomy, etc. This statement means uh, it's a promise by God that I've got your back. I'm in your corner, I'll fight for you, I'll protect you, I know where you are, I've got my eye on you at mm -hmm. all times. So it's a rugged commitment to be with someone and to be for someone. But the Bible's understanding of love is that over time it is transformative. God calls Israel to be with him in order that Israel might become what it's supposed to be. I am holy, 
so therefore you be holy. I am merciful, you be merciful. I am love, you be loving. So love is a radical, in the Bible, is a radical commitment to be with someone, as someone who is for that person, as you both together grow in Christ-likeness over time, calling one another into accountability to help one another become what you're supposed to be. That is the biblical understanding of love. It's much bigger than emotion, mm -hmm. and it is the biggest challenge we face today. So here's a big challenge. I often hear that people love someone, you know, and the challenge is we need to find people that, that we should be spending time with over time. So I say in the book that this is the process of making invisible people visible. We make invisible people visible by learning their name and making them a part of our life. And our responsibility, according to Jesus, is to transform our enemies into our neighbors. Right. That's a fellowship of difference as well. How can we do this? Well, we have to know who our enemies are. We have to know the people. Who, who are the people that we would rather not spend time with? Right. There you go. There's the person you need to learn to love. So love is a deep, radical commitment to another person to be with them and to be for them. And David, the other thing I would say is people do not know forness until they know withness. It is withness that embodies and communicates forness. And withness and forness together enable and empower a person to be able to speak untoness into their life. Right, right. We have a lot of people who want people to get their lives straight and then we will love them. We often call that conditional love. But untoness is a journey together of transformation. It's not a condition of fellowship. And you said two things uh, that I that I loved. Uh, one, you tucked in there. You, you said there were four items in the definition, but then you threw in over time. When you were yeah. talking about unto Christ likeness, there was this idea that this isn't going to happen today, tomorrow. It may not happen for months. It, it, you know, this this may be something that takes time. And then I also loved a couple of times you said radical, and a couple of times you said rugged, and and immediate you know, radical comes with this kind of you know far out there idea. Rugged means to me takes a beating, you know, willing to take a beating. I loved that. I don't know if you even meant to say rugged, but I loved I, the sound of that. I use the word rugged. I used to use that all the time with my students, and it's in the book. I don't know that I use the word radical in the book, but yeah, it's yeah. a rugged a rugged commitment because. Uh, the God of Israel's relationship to Israel is anything yeah. but smooth. Yeah. And most people know that a loving relationship over time of withness and forness and untoness is rugged. There are times when it's smooth sailing and other times when there's tension. Yeah. But, there, but it's the rugged commitment that holds us into that tension rather than says, oh, get out of it and form another relationship. So commit, rugged commitment is the right word, expression. A rugged commitment uh, to be with someone, to be for someone, unto Christ-likeness, and, and in that order. 
you, you know, you, in that order. In that order uh, until that happens. That's that's so that's so great. I, I, you know, I love that definition. I love having a definition. I love being able to have a definition that that is different from the message of culture about love, which love gets so so confusing and conflated, especially I'm sure for our teenagers, those of us that are ministering in youth group settings. So yeah. so Scott, I don't know if you have a final challenge or blessing for youth workers before you go, but uh, this has been a huge blessing. Well, David, I think that youth ministers. Uh, have a unique opportunity to impress upon young people a bigger vision of what God is doing in this world by focusing on the church as the place where we practice kingdom. Uh, rather than waiting till we become adults, waiting until everything, all the stars yeah. line up, waiting till everything works out and everybody's godly like them. <laughs> It is time now to embody kingdom realities. And youth uh, just seem to me to have the proper balance of idealism and passion and joy and hope and belief to begin to practice these things now and to begin to ask questions, who are my enemies that I need to make neighbors? Who are the different people that we need to welcome into the at the table? Who are the odd people that need to be in my salad bowl so that I have a real salad rather than just nothing but spinach leaves. So I think that, you know, youth pastors have a great opportunity to show to young people and to help them experience the reality of a fellowship of difference. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to start the music here. Now, uh, I have I have this uh, music I play. We are officially 35 seconds away from the end of this podcast. Uh, Scott, if I were there, I would be giving you a hug right now. Okay. I can't do it. So when you get here in February, I'll get a, I'll get a real analog side hug then. Um, thank you for being with us. It's been a blessing. Thank you, David. Yep. Talk to you soon. Have a, have a great afternoon. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you guys on the digital side hug in the future. And in the meantime... Man, let's take advantage of our opportunity to help students love one another well. In Jesus' name.